Good morning, church. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. Good morning. Amen. Amen. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, guys, we have a lot of reasons to be uh, excited, um, to be in the house of the Lord, to worship God, right? Uh, to, to see other believers, uh, to receive from the word of God, to, to make much of his name. I mean, we have, we have a great reason here to rejoice greatly. So uh, I pray that your hearts are not stagnant right now just because of life, because of business of life. Um, buying Christmas presents and traveling, and uh, you might be lethargic, but I just pray this morning that God would, would rejuvenate your hearts to make much of him this morning. You are before a holy God, right? There, there is this great promise in Scripture that whenever we gather together as a church, um, that God is with us. He's in our midst. So, so know this, that God is with us. So let's go before the throne of God and make much of him. You've been doing this uh, when you receive from the word in Sunday school, when you were worshiping God, now you can receive from the word as I preach to you. With that said, for those of you who are uh, guests to uh, this church, welcome to First Baptist Church of Thibodeau. Um, it's always great to have you guys with us. Let us know how we can help you um, any way possible that we can help you. Uh, also, members, just know that we have been praying for you guys. Let us know how we can continue to pray for you. With that said, we are in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm sorry. I'm going back, back to the, no, back, no. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 19 is our focal passage of scripture. When you've arrived to the text, say word, can you stand? We stand out of reverence to God's holy and righteous word. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that our hearts are open to the word of God. I pray that you can speak to our hearts as we have been walking through the book of Hebrews. You have been teaching us exactly what we must do, how we must respond You've been teaching us uh, indicative statements and doctrines, um, and our hearts are so filled, God, and satisfied. So continue to speak to us. Teach us what we do not know. Make us what we are not, and give us what we do not have. And God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. The title for today's sermon is Spiritual Leadership in the Local Church, Part 2. John Piper defines a spiritual leader or spiritual leadership in this way. He says, spiritual leadership is using God's methods to get his people where he wants them in reliance on his power. I love that definition of spiritual leadership. It's getting people to rely upon God, getting people to where God wants them to go. And this is the job of a spiritual leader. But how can a spiritual leader do this? He must hold two things firmly in his hands. On one hand, he holds the word of God firmly. He preaches biblical doctrines. He shares the word with God's people. He instructs 
According to 2 Timothy, this is exactly what it mentions. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we see that a spiritual leader must hold the word of God firmly in his hand. In the other hand, he must hold prayer firmly. To see change in the hearts of a person cannot happen through my words. Only God can change a heart. So spiritual leaders must devote themselves to prayer. Acts chapter 6 verse 4 it mentions this specifically concerning the apostles. But this is also important for spiritual leaders. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Ian Bounds is by far one of my favorite guys to go to when I want to learn more about prayer. And this is what he said. He says, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organization or more or novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. What what a powerful phrase or sentence or paragraph that Ian Bonds have left with us so that we can be people of prayer, but specifically pastors and elders. And we are called to pray. Pray consistently for the church. Pray for you. Pray, pray for our families. Pray for our hearts. You see, in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 19, the author of Hebrews continues his train of thought, the theme of spiritual leadership. As a matter of fact, we notice thus far in chapter 13, he has mentioned leadership or leader three times. We, we notice in verse 7, he says to remember your leaders. Then in verse 17, he says to, to what? Obey your leaders. And then in verse 24 of chapter 13, he says to greet your leaders. Last week, we noticed exactly what it means to, to what? To remember your leaders. He, he gave three imperative commands. We're called to remember our leaders. Remember how they lived for Jesus. Remember what they did. Consider. Consider means to uh, observe their lives, the way they walk with Christ. And then he says to imitate them. Imitate the way that they're loving their family and loving people and loving God above all things. So we are given leaders and their gifts to us in the local church. Their gifts to me in the local church. I shared this with you. You know, I, I love, I love MacArthur. I love Piper. I, I love all of these incredible preachers. But the greatest preacher in my life are my Sunday school teachers. The greatest preachers in my life right now is when I go and I sit in Jerry uh, Revet's Sunday school class and he teaches, and, and I know Jerry. I know he loves Jesus. I know he, he, he loves his family. I, I know he loves people. When I hear Tony preaches, I know he loves people, and there is a greater conviction because I know him personally. And Luke Settletal, when I sit and listen to him teach, I, I know he loves people. I know he loves God. These are great examples for us. 
And friends, I need you to observe here, he transitions from remember, consider, and imitate to now, he says, to obey your leaders. This is the responsibility that we have, that you have, to obey your leaders. I shared with you last week, if you were not with us last week, we're moving towards a plurality of leadership, eldership, pastors. When the Bible talks about pastors, there are three main words used to describe a pastor. One is, we know this one, appointment, which is the word pastor. It means that he is a shepherd. Episcopos is one who is an overseer, right? He oversees, and then there is also an elder, Presbyteros, which is basically one who is mature in his faith. Every single one of these terms talks specifically about the same title, which is a pastor, but it gives us a different responsibility of a pastor. So a pastor is one who shepherds the flock. He cares for the flock. An elder is one who lives mature. And then you, you, you have the, the bishop, right? Or the overseer is one who what? Who cares for the flock as well. He oversees. He gives oversight. These are all the responsibilities of a pastor. And therefore, we are, we are moving toward a plurality of pastors, a plurality of elders in our church. An elder is not an older person. This is, this is how we view it in, in, in our English language. So we, we see an elder in Scripture. We say, well, that's an older person. No, an, an elder is a pastor, like Timothy was a pastor. So with that said, we are moving toward that, and we will vote on having a plurality of pastors on January 29th. This is where the church will come and we, we will say, okay, we are affirming what God is doing in the lives of these men. But before then, your responsibility is to go to them. If you have any concerns, go to them, speak to them, encourage them. But we also move into a, a little bit more of, of deaconship. We have two deacons right now, which is Gerald, Andre, and Yui Rivet. And we're looking to add one more, which is Sean Snow. So Sean Snow would be considered to be an, a deacon. So, so we'll vote on that as well. So go to Sean. Talk to Sean. The plan is almost every year we can evaluate this and add more elders and add more deacons so we, we can move together as a unit. Friends, do not forget this. You have a great responsibility. But here's another responsibility here. To pray for your elders and pastors and to obey them. This is exactly what the text is saying here. This morning, I want you to see two responsibilities that you must fulfill in the local church for your pastors and elders. One, we must obey our pastors. We must obey our pastors. I say we, I'm speaking to me as well. A plurality of pastorship means that I submit to the brothers around me as well. They're elders, so I submit to them. So we submit to one another. We obey one another. We have no kings in this church. If you, if you try to ask what's the check and balances in this church, I, I'm held accountable on a consistent basis by these brothers. Right now, we don't have it, a plurality of eldership, but we do have a council, and the council keeps me accountable as I keep them accountable. And I thank God for this. 
I thank God for this. So we, we must obey our pastors. We see this in verse 17. Second, we must pray for our pastors. We must pray for our pastors. We see this in verses 18 through 19. Friends, please, I need you to really pay attention to this sermon. I really need you to fulfill the responsibilities here. We are a unit, and you have a role. And if you're not fulfilling this role, we'll have a weak church, weak leadership. We all have a role. And if we can learn to work and submit to one another, pray for one another, we will see great things happening in his local church. But if we're constantly bickering, constantly looking for power and position, constantly looking for a reason to say, well, pastor, you're not doing this right, or elder, you're not doing this right, then we will never grow as a church. We must come together here. And we have roles to fulfill and to play. What's the first role here? What's the first responsibility here? We must obey our pastors. Now, what comes to mind immediately for some of you or many of you reading this text, it's like, obey? Ah, I got a problem with that. I got a problem. Anytime we hear the word obey, obeying a man, or submit, there is this hesitation that happens in our hearts. I won't lie to you. I have the same thing. Oh, obey, hold up. What do you mean by this? And there are several reasons I believe that happens. First is because of our culture. It's all about individualism. It's about me. Whatever makes me happy. I do what I want, when I want. I go where I want to go. So our culture has taught us it's all about you. The only person I submit to is me, is what the culture says. But I want you to observe that's so foreign from Scripture. It is against Scripture. Such, such attitude, such disposition, coming closer, is a sin. When you notice in Scripture, we are consistently called to submit. We're called to submit in our marriage. When he says to submit to one another. Husbands, how do you submit? By loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Wives, how do you submit to your husband? By submitting to the fact that they are the leaders, the head of the home. We are called to submit to our government. We are called to submit to one another. And we are also called to submit to the leaders in the church. Do you see it? Throughout Scripture, we as Christians are called to submit. And the reason why is because God is saying, it's not about you. The best way to kill self is to submit. And when you learn to submit to one another, what happens is this. There is a greater desire to worship God and to serve other people. I love what Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Pay close attention to this. Coming closer. There's a paradox. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So how can I lose my life? There's a good question, and here's the answer. By submitting. Submit to God. Submit to other people. 
Submit to your employers. Submit in your relationship with your wife and your husband. Submit in the local church. Submit to the government. This is how you find it. Lose your life. But our culture says something completely different. It does. It does. Maybe another reason why so many people have a problem with this whole word or, 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 or this, this imperative command here to obey and submit is because they had horrible pastors before. They had pastors who abused them. So when they hear this text, they say, no, I would never do this. But friends, this is not a suggestion. This is a command in Scripture. But pay close attention to what's happening here. Here, he's not saying to us there is a sense of an unqualified blanket obedience. He's not saying just, just because you're in a local church and a pastor, just, just obey any kind of pastor. Kind of like Jim Jones. Remember what Jim Jones did? Where he killed over 800, over I think about 1,000 people, got them to drink this Kool-Aid, right? He's not talking about a submission like this. The submission here is a submission to the word of God. That if a pastor, an elder, an overseer is preaching the word of God and holding firmly to sound doctrine, then you're called to submit. You're called to submit. You're, you're called to obey. Listen, this submission is a submission to the word of God and to God. What must we do here? He gives us three reasons why we ought to obey our leaders and our pastors. What are they, Kevin? One, because our pastors, our elders, are accountable to God. They are accountable to God. Where are you getting this from, Kev? Well, look in your own Bibles. See for yourself in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account and let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So, so here he says they are accountable to God. Notice the phrase that he mentions here. They're keeping watch over your souls. In the original language, this literally means that they are staying up at night thinking and praying for you. This is what the text is alluding to here. Submit to them because they're accountable to God, but they're keeping watch over your souls. They're, they are thinking of you deeply. They're, they're thinking of your spiritual malady. They're, they're thinking of your spiritual weakness. They're thinking of you and how you struggle tremendously, and they're pouring their hearts out for you. They're accountable to God, but they're keeping watch over you. Literally, the phrase means to keep oneself awake. Oh, friends. Oh, friends. When there are issues in the church, when there are issues with people, when there are issues with marriages, there are many nights, I'm not going to lie to you, many nights where I stay awake. And I cannot turn it off. And I pray and I ask God to do something amazing. Why do you think I have all that gray hair? <laughs> I'm only 41. 
But honest truth is, God gives you a passion for people to keep watch over their souls, to pray for them on a consistent basis, to reach out. So here, he tells us, because they're accountable to God, the second thing here, he says, they will answer to God. They're accountable to God. They will answer to God. Do you see in your own Bibles? Why must you obey and submit to your elders and pastors? They will answer to God. See in your own Bibles what he mentions here. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account to God. I love what James mentioned. James chapter 3 verse 1, coming closer. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Friends, I, I want to invite you into my mindset and my life. This passage of scripture by far is the greatest passage of scripture for me. Because I fear God when I fear men. And there is a stricter judgment that will happen to me on the day when I come before God because of what I do with you, how I preach, how I live my life, how I pastor. A stricter judgment on me and elders and pastors. So this is why we're called to obey and to submit to them because of that passage of Scripture. So, so how, how is it possible that teachers incur greater judgment? And Kent Hughes helps us here. Notice very carefully what Kent Hughes mentions. He says, if we claim to have an informed knowledge of God's Word for God's people and further claim that we are charged to deliver it, and are more responsible to deliver it clearly and to obey it, I, that's can't use, by virtue of my professed calling and study of God's word, will undergo a stricter judgment than many Christians. Increased responsibility means increased accountability. There are many nights that I say to myself, God, maybe, maybe working at Burger King is better. <laughs> maybe being a waiter is better right now. Because, because, God, I will be judged and I'm before you and have mercy on me. This is why I have no problem letting you know when I bleed. No problem letting you know when I've sinned before God, when I'm not pursuing the holiness of God like I should. Not because I want to impress you. How is that impressing you to see your pastor up there bleeding? Most people look down on stuff like that. But honestly and truthfully, I don't care what you think about me. It's what he thinks. So when there's a conviction that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, there's this Holy hush that comes upon me. Kevin, get this right. Why? Because there is stricter judgment here. The Bible is clear that believers will not stand in judgment for their sins. We, we see this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. That salvation is a free gift. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, right? 
But the Bible tells us that we will be judged based on our works. As Christians, the great Bema seat of God, that every single one of you in this place, if you're a Christian, God will judge you based on your works. And the pastor, elders, overseer, will deal with the same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15, notice very carefully what it mentions. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stone, wood and hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the fountain survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. But only as through fire. He's talking about believers here. He's talking to believers here. The third, third, obedience to your pastors will make life better for you. <laughs> Can I say it again? Obedience to your pastors and elders will make life better for you. Where are you getting this from, Kevin? Where are you getting this from? You better point us to Scripture. But notice what Scripture mentions here. See your, with your own, your own eyes. See for yourself. See for yourself. Obey your leaders again. Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with Joy. It's them. It's you. When you're called to obey, don't obey begrudgingly, but with great joy and excitement is what the text is saying here. Let them do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage for you. And what he's saying here specifically is that when we learn to obey our spiritual leaders and pastors and we do it with joy, it brings great benefit in our lives and also their lives. But, coming closer, when we do the opposite of that, it causes more friction in your life and the life of your pastors. I want you to understand this very carefully. In the SBC, there are over 6,000 pastors annually calling to leave the ministry. They're gone. They're no longer pastoring. They're no longer shepherding. They are, they are gone. And since COVID-19, a lot more. Why is that? I believe a lot of that is self-inflicted as well, where pastors are perhaps not doing what they're supposed to. There's no doubt, because pastors are human. However, I think a majority of that is that people are consistently neglecting what the text mentions here. So if a pastor is preaching the word biblically, instead of people coming and saying, man, I love God, I love what God is doing, what they tend to do is criticize what he's saying, criticize the word. When, when the pastor preaches about the importance of loving your wife, loving God, they will find something to criticize the pastor about. Criticize a Sunday school teacher about. And when a pastor is proclaiming sound doctrine, they would come against it. 
This is one of the ways, friends, that we can cause such bitterness in our hearts and in the hearts of pastors. But I'll tell you this. The greatest joy for me is when I see you pursuing the things of God. And it's not your money. And it's not your gifts. And I love the prayers and thank God for it. And we'll get to that text, uh, the second point. But the greatest joy is seeing you love God. Love God. You know why it's a great joy for me? Because there's great accountability. When I see, when I see Stephen, Stephen Daly loving his girls and his boys and his wife, when I see Stephen Daly and the first time I meet up with him, he wants to talk about the scripture he's been reading. And I'm like, wow, huh, this is good. This is good for my soul. When I meet up with Brother Biff, and the first thing he wants to do is talk to me about prayer and who is he praying for and what God is doing in his life because of prayer, this is good for my soul. Do you get it? It is amazing when God's people are making much of him, and the pastor gets to see that and say, wow, God, this is awesome. This is great. Friends, I want you to understand this. There's no other job like pastoring. Every job that you do, including cutting grass, building homes, in the office, once you are done for the day, you can look back and you can see everything that has been accomplished and has not been accomplished. You see the paperwork on your desk that has been accomplished or have not been accomplished. You look back at the yard and you see the yard has been cut or not been cut. With pastoring, you can't look back. You can't see anything. You just can't because you're constantly doing the will of God and designed to proclaim the word of God, but you have no clue whose heart is hidden. So you're looking back and you're saying, God, did I do a good job? <laughs> Am I doing the right thing? Am I making much of your name? Did I care for this person correctly? Did I say the right thing when I was meeting up with him? Is there true change when this person is struggling with sin and yet I confronted that sin with love and the word of God? Is there change, God? You never know, right? And this is the beauty of this text. And when God's people can embrace sound doctrine, biblical teaching, the glory of God, and do it joyfully, it's a great encouragement for pastors. You want to encourage your Sunday school teachers? Live out what they're teaching. And share with them what God is doing in your life because of his word. That would be the greatest encouragement you can give them. But friends, come in closer. A person who never brings joy will never have joy. Do you get this? A lot of Baptist churches, man, where there are only causing issues. They love to cause dissension. They love to criticize. They love to judge. But they never bring joy in the hearts of people, especially their pastors. So we must bring joy to our pastors and our elders, according to the text. Coming closer, this is what John MacArthur mentions. We are not to submit begrudgingly or out of a feeling of compulsion, but willingly, 
so that our elders and pastors may experience joy in their work with us. In their work with us. Now I'll say this to you as a great encouragement, and I'm thankful for the plurality of elders that we will have, and they are experiencing that already, and we'll experience it even more. We have a good church that loves their pastors. We praise and are very encouraging. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that, not just for me, but for the rest of the pastors, for the rest of the elders as we move forward. Do it because Scripture commands us to do it. Obey our leaders. Second point here is that we must pray for our pastors. We must pray for our pastors. See for yourself in verses 18 through 19. Here specifically, the text mentioned to pray for us. Pray for us. So here's the author. They're saying to pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorable in all things. Church leaders struggle with the same things that you struggle with. We're human. We, we, we deal with problems. We deal with family issues. We, 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 we deal with our hearts. So we, you, are called to pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. If you're not doing that on a consistent basis, friends, I want to encourage you to do it. Not to give them this puffed up mind, but to bring a sense of humility. The best way that you can see humility in the hearts of your pastors is not to go to them and say, I'm going to humble you, but to pray for them that God will humble them. Pray for their hearts. Pray consistently. The Apostle Paul did this on a consistent basis where he asked for people to pray for him. But I want you to pay close attention to this. Two verses but notice this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 through 19, the Apostle Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And then in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. Notice what the Apostle Paul mentions again. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Notice this, friends, in both passages of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is not just asking anyone to pray for him. He's not asking for popcorn prayers. Rather, he's asking for people who are devoted to prayer to pray for him. You get it. He's not concerned about your eloquence. He's not concerned about how the vocabulary you use in your prayer. He's concerned about one thing, that you are devoted to prayer. And if you're devoted to prayer, you can pray for him. So coming closer, and don't miss this, the power of prayer is not found in our eloquence or vocabulary, but rather in our devotion to prayer. How is your prayer life? Are you devoted to prayer? If you're devoted to prayer, then pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. You want to make sure you're devoted to prayer first. Charles Spurgeon 
One of the greatest preachers who ever lived said this to his congregation. Come closer and pay attention to this. My people, shall I ever lose your prayer? Will you ever cease your supplication? Will you then ever cease to pray? I fear you have not uttered so many prayers this morning as you should have done. I fear there has not been so much earnest devotion as might have been poured forth. For my own part, I have not felt the wondrous power I sometimes experience. Oh, I miss my friend John Blackman. For years, John would text me every morning, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. I can study, I can study Greek, I can study Hebrew, I can get up here and yell at you and have delivery, I could sweat, I could do all of these things. I can be very persuasive, very emotional, but I cannot touch your heart. God can. I cannot touch people's hearts. God can. And this is where we need prayer. This is where you need to pray for me that God's word will tug at the hearts of people. Pray for your Sunday school teachers that when they teach that God's word will target the hearts of people. Tug at the hearts of people and draw people to him. This is what we do. This, this is your responsibility. The great first awakening, as we have read multiple times of Jonathan Edwards, who would read a sermon, sin in the, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God, monotone with his notes to his face. How can someone preach a sermon in such a monotone and yet great conversion happen? You know what happened? It was said that Jonathan Edwards preached that same sermon a week prior at another church. Nothing happened. And a group of ladies decided we're going to meet up and fast and pray and pray that God would bring revival to America. And prayer. God initiated the revival by bringing prayer in the hearts of his people and great revival happened in America. We must pray. Pray for our pastors. Pray for their preaching. Pray for the way they live. Pray for the way they love. Pray, pray, pray. I need your prayers. Please, the lifeline you can send me is prayers. I need it. I need it. This is not an easy job. I'm thankful for what God is doing, but I need you. And the way I need you is by praying the way the elders will need you is by praying for them. Pray. In our covenant, you are called to pray. This is, this is from our covenant. It says this, because prayer is essential to the spiritual life, our spiritual life and growth of a believer in the church. We'll pursue lives that are bathed in prayer. This is in our covenant. We will pray regularly for the elders, Sunday school teachers, leaders, and various ministries of the church. We need prayer. We'll also seek to gather with brothers and sisters to pray for one another. This is in our covenant. So in closing, how can we pray for our pastors? How can we pray for our pastors? Here are several ways. Pray that they would be devoted 
to prayer and the word. Pray that we will be devoted to prayer and the word, not, not to be sidetracked, to focus on how to get the church bigger and better and greater. Wait, we want to be focused more on being deep than wide. We want to go deep. And the way we go deep is with the word and prayer. So pray for your leaders to be devoted to prayer and the word. Pray that they would love the Lord of the word more than the word of the Lord. What do you mean, Kevin? As leaders who are constantly in the word, we can be so fascinated by the word that we miss Jesus. Do you know that? We can be so fascinated with sound doctrines and theology and we want to share that. We can't wait to preach that and we miss Jesus. No. The whole point of the word is to fall in love with Jesus. So, so pray that we'll fall in love, a greater love for the Lord of the word more than the word of God. Pray for our families. Pray for our families. Please pray for our families. Pray that we would love our wives. My Christ loved the church, that we would be patient with our children and care for them and lead them. Oh, guys, please pray for that. Pray for that. Pray that we would pastor our families well. We can be so focused on the ministry that we miss the greatest ministry in our lives, which is our family. It's easy to do that, to pray that our priority will be God and pastor in our families. And pray that God would give us a greater love for people. Wow. You know, one of the greatest discouragement is I, I look and I see and I saw, see what people used to sit. And they're no longer here. Some of them took it out on the church, took it out on me, took it out on some of you in the room, and they're gone. And I pray every day for them. I think of them. Even when I, I look in the congregation, I see where they used to sit. They're no longer there. And I pray, God, move mightily. Pray for your pastors to have a greater love for people. It is easy to take things personal. But we must have a greater love for people. To care for people. To pursue people. To be forgiven. To be loving. And that's hard to do, right? It's hard for you. It's hard for all of us to be loving to people that you think are coming against you, right? But honestly and truthfully, we are called to love even greater. So friends, pray. Pray that we would love people greatly. So with that said, based on this sermon, here's a great application. Obey your leaders. Obey your leaders. Why? Because they're accountable to God. They will have the answer to God. They're keeping watch over your souls. And by obeying your leaders, it benefits you tremendously. There's great joy in your heart when you do this. And heart in your leaders uh, love in your leader's heart as well. There's great joy in your leader's heart as well when you obey your leaders biblically. And second, pray for your leaders. Pray for your pastors. 
Pray for their families. Pray for great devotion for the word and prayer. Let's pray. God, there is a great conviction in my own heart to do this for my brothers. They will be considered elders. To think deeply about them, to pray for them, to submit to them. I love Christianity. I love the mutual submission that we're called to have. The congregation is called to submit to their leaders. The leadership is also called to submit to the congregation by caring for them, pastoring them, and leading them. As elders, we cannot neglect caring for the flock. Forgive me, Father, when I have failed. Forgive us when we have failed. Thank you for the responsibilities within this passage of Scripture. Be with your people. Lead your people. Guide your people. Sanctify this church for your glory and your glory alone. In your mighty and precious name, amen, amen, and amen.